Good morning, folks. This is Peter Bogucurucci and Woman in Science podcast, She Talks. Welcome back. Today, we are going to continue our um, episode regarding the history of women in science. If you remember, well, in the first episode, we discussed how in the 19th century, it was extremely difficult for women to participate to any scientific work of any kind. Women in Europe were still practically excluded from the world of science and technical field, and all that people in the name of their supposed natural inferiority. If you also remember, we discussed that one of the most persistent biases regarding the intellectual capacities of women was to postulate that their brain were ill-suited to conceive abstraction. Yes, you heard me. To conceive abstraction, something that Mr. Casanova confirmed with an incontrovertible maxim, science is misplaced in women. So, now it's important to um, realize that even though there were all, all those preconceived ideas and it was extremely hard for women to access scientific uh, work of any kind, there were numerous women that had advanced science during the 18th century and even the 19th century. The Italian Laura Bassi, the French woman Émilie du Châtelet, the Scott Mary Somerville, as well as in the 19th century, the English woman Caroline Herkel, who was the world's first professional female astronomer, the Bohemian paleontologist Josephine Kablik, or the first female Swedish chemist Anna Sundström, that was born in 1785 and died in 1871. It's also very important to understand that in those times there was quite an anti-feminist climate, a climate of the Napoleonic Europe and the Europe of the Holy Alliance. So you can imagine that it would be in those times extremely difficult for women to take part in any scientific job. And the science sciences naturalized gender difference in those times. Women were deemed unfit for scientific research. However, a very small number of them could still gain access to knowledge and they could do that either by taking advantage of the scientific education of their brothers or of their husbands, their lovers, their fathers even. This was only tolerated in aristocratic circles, you need to note. Sometimes they could even teach themselves by reading and participating in society discussions. Some women went even further and braved the forbidden. And we could remember Ada Lovelace, who was the daughter of Lord Byron that decided to leave behind husband and children and continue her studies. She, at the end, wrote the first computer program for an analytical machine. So that wasn't anything, you know. The positivism of the 19th century made scientific progress a kind of weapon for the happiness of the people. And that, as the result, Uh, was that this, the life science, the earth sciences and humanities were put on a pedestal. So science was was everything in those times, you know. And few female, female women, sorry, um, could eventually start to 
you know, hold some subordinate posts in this exclusively male-dominated field, you know. They could be collaborator, they could be assistant, and they could even be producers of scientific instruments. However, the contribution stayed very limited, and this also because they, were, they could not have access to scientific education. So those that could do it started to pursue their study and succeeded in gaining recognition in scholarly societies. But this could only be possible at the end of the 19th century or if, you know, they were the sisters, mothers, spouse, daughters of scientists. And as we already mentioned, and in that case, they could participate at their side in the advancement of the discipline. It was, for instance, the case of the German chemist Clara Haber that was all in the shadow of her Nobel Prize winning husband Fritz. That was also the case of the Serbian physicist Mileva Marik that was the wife of uh, the so famous Albert Einstein, the Austrian psychoanalyst Anna Freud, who was the daughter of uh, Sigmund Freud, and Mary Sara Rafalovich, the polyglot Russian journalist who was the translator and confidant of Mr. Claude Bernard himself, and probably even here, the, the lover of Mr. Claude Bernard, the founder of experimental medicine. Now, as a result of the first wave feminism in the 19th century, young girls could slowly start to gain access to higher education. In the late 19th century, the doors of the universities opened for Danish women in 1873, for Swedish women in 1875, for Norwegian women in 1882 although it took until 1890 for it to spread to France and 1909 to Germany. So, as you can imagine, Scandinavian countries were way ahead of their time, like they are in that field also today, you know. In, in, and uh, you, do you imagine that it took like until 1909 to spread to Germany, where in Norway in 1912, uh, 1912, sorry, they were already appointed their first female university professor in Oslo. So, I hope um, you enjoyed and that you um, find this uh, little episode interesting. We are going to stop here, otherwise it's going to be too much and it's when it's a bit too long it starts to get a bit boring and we will continue I hope you stay tuned and that you will continue to follow us for the next episode for the time being I wish you a wonderful day bye bye